And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we'll stand together as we read the scriptures this morning. And I'm going to start with verse 36, and we'll go through verses 49. This is after the resurrection of Christ. This is after that episode of Jesus meeting the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Their eyes were open to the fact of his resurrection. Then it says in verse 36, as they were saying these things, he himself stood among them. And he said to them, to his disciples here who had been hiding away, remember, he said, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified. Well, I would have been too. It says, they thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. And having said this, he showed them his hands and feet, but while they still could not believe, because now, now it's because of their joy. It's too good to be true, right? It says, they were amazed. And he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate in their presence. And then he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what it was written, the Messiah, that what was written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you that uh, sending you what my father promised as for you stay in the city until you are empowered from on high and we know that that on high empowerment was the sending of the holy spirit at pentecost father we ask for the same spirit that raised christ from the dead the spirit that empowered those first disciples we pray that that same spirit would speak to our hearts today fill us afresh and anew that we might be made alive and more alive than ever before in Christ today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, when World War I was declared over, there were still battles that were taking place. There were, in some instances, almost an intentional neglect of spreading the news that the war was over. And in other situations, word just had not traveled far and wide enough and quick enough to save the deaths of countless thousands. And it would take time for prisoners to be set free. But the fact is, the war had ended. This morning, as I preach this message on the resurrection of Christ, in the series that we've been studying, Pass It On, I'm saddened to say that there are many who haven't heard that the war is already over. They're fighting battles all over the world. 
And many of you fighting battles day in and day out in your own life and in your own heart and in your own home. And I believe that Jesus stands to tell you this morning through his word, the battle is over. The war has already been won. This morning, we're asking his spirit to speak through his word to help us to understand because you and I need to know the same truth this morning. And we also need to learn to pass this on. I believe we have a generation that's simply not convinced that Christ is alive. And if they are convinced that Christ is alive, they will begin to take heed to his word and they will desire with a greater enthusiasm to do his will. But I believe a lot of us, the reason we're not taking heed to his word and we're not hungry for the word of God and we're not passionate about the will of God and the call of God in our lives is we're simply not convinced that the war is over. We're simply not convinced that Jesus Christ has won the battle and has risen forevermore. Our actions don't show it. Our emotions often don't show it. Our priorities don't show it. Many times those things that we worry about are things that someone who truly believes that Christ is alive wouldn't worry about. And so we don't always reflect that we believe that Christ is alive. And if we don't believe it, we're not going to pass it on to others, our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. And see, we live in a generation today. You know what one of the biggest buzzwords of the past year has been? Oh, it's been around for a while now, but it's been made popular, at least in maybe in the, in the fall of 2016. It's this phrase, fake news. How many of you have heard that term used more than any other time lately, fake news. Whether you're talking about politicians, even the President of the United States or others, people are turning here and there and everywhere, and we're just bombarded with what we call fake news. And for those of you who are on the internet and use social media, you know that fake news is around more than ever. Sometimes, and you have to be careful out there, don't be like the lady who was dating the French model that she met on the internet because you can't lie on the internet, you know what I'm talking about, you know, the commercial bulger. Um, There's a lot of stuff, a lot of phony stuff. Sometimes it's because it's a satirical website. It's a website that was set up to do blogs that are just funny and, and so absurd and so ridiculous, but yet some of you have gone to those sites or shared those posts believing what you have just read, the fake news that was satire. Sometimes it's not satirical, it's just intentionally deceptive. Because anybody can put anything on the internet, right? And so they put the news out there, they put the fake news out there. Even if you find out the truth later, maybe you will believe it long enough that you will buy into something and you will fall prey to someone's uh, lure that's out there. Then there's what we would call, speaking of lures, there's what we would call clickbait. And I hate clickbait. Some of you love clickbait. You just can't resist. You're scrolling Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and an ad pops up. Now, I'm, I'm going to just confess, Pastor Ben, I'm guilty when it has to do with sports. Because they'll say, uh, we believe these are going to be the top ten quarterbacks in college football next year. And here's how you know that it's clickbait. When you click on it, and they're all not listed right there. I mean, it's like you've got to read about one, and then you've got to click to the next page to see the second one, and click to the next page to see. See, that's a bogus website. 
That's called clickbait. They're just trying to get you to see these advertisements or maybe even put viruses on your computer or steal your identity or something like that. If you have to keep clicking, now here's what you'll notice about those times that you have to change the page. I'm telling on myself when I tell you this, but when, when, you, when you go to click the little next button, but they have so programmed it that when your mouse gets close to it, an advertisement will jump up and replace that next button. So you clicked on the ad and then you're like, ah, I didn't want to go to that. And you Clicking back, back. Where's, 30 minutes later, you still don't know who's predicted to be the top 10 quarterbacks in college football next year. Drives you nuts. Clickbait. It's just a trap. It's not real. It's fake news. So it's, it's, there's satirical. There's, there's the intentionally deceptive. Then there's the clickbait. And teenagers are getting all of this. And then some of you are falling prey to those people who will just say, you know what? I, here, this will be fun, won't it? You've you got to be careful who started this, but this will be fun. Tell me um, your, your birthday. Tell me what year were you born. Your first car that you owned. Your high school mascot. Oh, this will be so. We'll do a list. And they'll put like 30 things in a list. Well, 10 of those things are answers to your security questions on all your accounts. You, you hadn't paid attention to that. A lot of you haven't. And you say, oh, this is so fun. And I remember this. And you put this. And you put this. And you put this. And if I wanted to, I could go to some of your Facebook pages and steal your identity because now I know the answer to all those security questions. And the person who started that, it was all fake news. They were trying to get something started that, because people will copy and paste. And don't, please, please, church family, don't ever put anything on there. If you love Jesus or small children, you'll copy and paste this and share it with somebody else. It's fake news. And so I just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to like it and poke it and share it or anything else. I don't want anything to do with it. And so we've got to be careful. Nowadays, even on cable TV or anywhere else, especially, I guess, on cable TV, satellite television, fake news. Why is that important? Because our kids are growing up in a generation where their Bible app and their devotions and all of that are coming to them electronically, and that's okay. I'm cool with that. I think we should get, that's why I use uh, social media is to get the gospel out. But all of that is surrounded by so much fake news that they can't tell what's fake from what is real. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was not and is not and never will be fake news. It's the truth without any mixture of error, and so is this word. Now, possibly we haven't understood what Christ has provided for us and therefore, we're not convinced that this isn't fake news. He gives us three provisions that we'll look at in this passage, a reality that we'll see, a reminder that we'll notice, and then a responsibility that Christ is going to give us right here in the text. First of all, I want you to see the reality. Here's the reality he presents them with. Here's what we're provided with today. The risen Christ provides convincing evidence. He lets these disciples know the resurrection is not fake news, it is the real thing. And so he appears in their midst in verse 36, and he says, peace. By the way, they were missing it. <laughs> they were missing peace. They were fearful. They were shaking. One of the greatest evidences of the resurrection is that these men who were fearful and kind of shaking in their sandals turned the world upside down with the gospel and gave their lives for Christ. But he presented himself. He speaks a word of peace. Perhaps they remembered Perhaps when he said that word peace, they thought of when he said, in this world you will have tribulation. 
He says, I'm giving you my peace, but in the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage because I've overcome the world, and the resurrection is the ultimate overcoming of everything that this world could throw at us. And so he begins to point to what he was, he was physically, invisibly in their presence. These convincing proofs, if you will, in verses 39, 40, and following. He's asking, why do you have doubts? See my hands, my feet. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 22 that they would pierce his hands and his feet. And this is a record that that had taken place. He says, I'm not a ghost. He says, while they still could not believe, in verse 41, but this time now, it's not so much fear and doubt. It's because of the joy that they were amazed. This is too good to be true. I can't believe it. And he says, do you have anything to eat? I want to show you that this was a literal, physical, bodily resurrection. It wasn't some mass hallucination like some tried to suggest. So he began to eat broiled fish in their presence. They began to understand what Luke would tell us in Acts chapter 1, which is really Luke part 2. But in Acts chapter 1, which overlaps big time with Luke 24, he's, Luke's, Luke's writing to Theopolis, and he says, Theopolis, I want to tell you the rest of the story. Remember what I told you about Jesus? He continued to present himself, and he says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, with many infallible proofs. Now, Luke is a doctor. This isn't just any uh, first century religious figure. He wasn't even Jewish. He was a Gentile. And so this physician of the first century who knew what he was talking about says, to Theophilus, whoever Theophilus was, he was addressed in Luke and in Acts. Some say because Theophilus means lover of God that it was many people. Some say that it was a Roman official named Theophilus. But whoever it was, Luke is saying that we've got convincing evidence. We've got proof that he was presented alive after his suffering and death again and again and again. And then when you get to 1 Corinthians 15, you see this list of all these people Christ appeared before including Paul, who was persecuting the church. He did have a Jewish background. He was a religious figure. He was persecuting the believers with zeal, but came to faith in Christ, met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, and it changed his life. And Paul will mention in that list the very half-brother of Jesus Christ himself, James, James, who had a hard time believing Big Brother is Messiah. It might have been rough growing up with a perfect older brother. I don't know. My sister's here. You'd have to ask her. It might have been tough. I'm just kidding. She knew I was far from perfect. But James, he grew up with a perfect older brother. Jesus never sinned. Never did anything. And he was willing to die for faith and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. History tells us that James was taken to the pinnacle of the temple and told to renounce his faith in Jesus, and when he refused to do so, that he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple, and that when he hit the ground, it broke him up real bad, but it didn't kill him, and so they came out and they clubbed him to death and stoned him to death until he had breathed his last. Does it sound like James thought that the resurrection of Christ was a hoax Does it sound like James thought it was fake news? He gave his very life for getting this message to the world. And yet we're so distracted from the evidence today. So much fake news around us. 
the, the case has been made again and again by the Word of God and the people of God, and yet we try to, I, I just, I'm not sure I'm convinced. Or we don't take time. We're, we're distracted by all the fake news. Many have told the story of Clarence Darrow, who was a famous lawyer in the early part of the 20th century. He was actually the one who defended Scopes in the Scopes trial. He defended him unsuccessfully, but he, was, he had been successful in a lot of the other trials and, and cases where he had defended before. And they said that when Clarence Darrow would sit there while the prosecuting attorney would give the closing arguments of a typical case, that he would begin to smoke his cigar. In those days, you could do that in the courtroom. But he would begin to smoke his cigar, and that he would put a wire, a small wire, in his cigar, running the length of the cigar, so that while he smoked his cigar, the ashes wouldn't fall. And those ashes would just get longer and longer and longer till it became so, so that the jury is sitting there while the prosecuting attorney is giving the closing arguments and stating the facts, and the jury can't listen because they're wondering when those ashes are going to fall. And Jesus, by his spirit and, and through his word, is giving us a closing argument. I am alive. Victory has been won. Case closed. But we're so busy because the devil's over there smoking a cigar. The devil's over there doing something to get our attention off of Jesus Christ. And we're missing the evidence. We're missing that life-changing encounter with the living Christ. We're ignoring even the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives, some of us even this morning. We need that daily encounter with the crucified Christ that says to our hearts even this morning, I am alive, I am real, trust in me. And secondly, we see a reminder in this passage that the risen Christ provides clear explanation. He, he wants to remind them of some things. And he gives a clear explanation. And when it comes to passing this on, to our neighbors and the nations, and passing it on to the next generation, we need to be able to give an explanation. It's been said before that your walk gives credibility to your talk, but your talk gives clarity to your walk. You have to walk it, but we are going to have to talk it as well. We're going to have to explain what we believe and why we believe it. And so Jesus begins to give this explanation by way of reminder in verse 44, these are my words that I spoke with you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms must be fulfilled. He says, well, I, I told you this. At Luke chapter 9, verses 22, as well as in verse 44, Jesus was explaining to them, the Son of Man must suffer at the hands of men. He's going to die, he's going to be killed, but on the third day he's going to rise again, he's going to be raised to life. This is going to happen, he says, in Luke chapter 18, he says, I will be handed over, I will be mocked, I want you to know I'm going to be insulted. He even told them, I'm going to be spat upon. It's going to happen. I'm going to be flogged, and then I'm going to be killed, but I want you to know I will rise. And if all those other things that he said would happen, happened, they should have been looking for the resurrected Lord, but it caught them by surprise. Then he did what he did with those men on the road to Emmaus I alluded to a moment ago. He, he had a little hermeneutics class with them. He did an exegetical study of the scriptures. He, he began to point out to them and explain to them, it says, in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. There are three parts of the Hebrew Old Testament. 
the law, the prophets, and the writings. Now, in the English Bibles, we've kind of changed the order of the Old Testament, and we put the law and the writings, and then we have the prophets. But in the Hebrew Old Testament, the the Jews would have the law, the prophets, and the writings, and sometimes they would just use the word law to refer to the Old Testament, sometimes those first five books, and then they would refer to the the prophets, uh, what we would call major and minor prophets, all as one unit, and sometimes they would refer to the writings, the other books, as simply the Psalms, because the Psalms were, made up the largest part of those wisdom and poetic books in the Old Testament. And so he walks them through those books. Perhaps in the law, he started where we started in our Pass It On study, but he went back to Genesis 3.15. That, remember the word I gave you, proto-euangelia, the first gospel, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent? And perhaps Jesus said, you know, boys, that's me. I'm the one who that verse was talking about. It says he then went to the prophets. Perhaps he went to Isaiah 53 because that's where Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch reading on his chariot. Remember that? Isaiah 53, he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace would be upon him and by his stripes we'll be healed. Hey boys, that's me. Look at it. See, 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 this was talking about me all along. And then he gets to the writings, he gets to that Psalm 22 where it speaks about the piercing of the hands and, and the feet. That, that psalm that begins with the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Boys, that's me. It was all looking forward to this coming, that I had to suffer. You wanted Messiah to come as a conquering king, and I'm coming back one day as a conquering king, but the first time, because of your sin, I had to come as a suffering servant. Boys, that was me. That's the one that was being spoken of. In the law and the prophets and the writings, I had to die. But, but I'm telling you, I was going to rise from the grave all along. So we continue to read here in Luke 24 the words of Jesus. Messiah would suffer these things, and he began to explain how he would suffer. That he would said, open their minds to understand. Look again at verse 45 understand what the scriptures, what scriptures did they have at this point? Simply the Old Testament. So he opened their mind and helped them understand that. He kind of does a recap in verse 46. He says, let's go over this. You get this? This is what was written. The Messiah would suffer, rise from the dead the third day. And and as if he's saying to his disciples, got it? (laughs) Get it? Got it good? You got it, boys? You got it? That's, That's what it said. Here I am. Just like I said I would be. I suffered and died for the sin of the world and for your sin. I'm alive today. Their fears had brought doubt. And that's what brings doubt often into our life. We have certain fears, things that we don't want to face, and so we begin to have doubts, and there's nothing that our living Lord can't conquer, and so we need to put our faith and trust in Him and let that love for Him and that perfect love cast out all fear because we know our Lord is alive. We just need to see and hear the evidence. We need to know he is right here. And that's why he would promise the coming of the Holy Spirit, that we would be aware of his presence in a new and and fresh encounter with Christ through his spirit. You know, when Tina and I got married, and she reminded me this morning 
that today is one of those anniversaries. Sometimes, men we don't keep up with, but she kept up with this. Today's an anniversary of where uh, I, I communicated to her, I've got a piece about this relationship going forward and, and uh, all of this way back in 1994. And uh, we were married a year later. So, um, But when we got married, the day of our wedding, now I don't know what proper protocol and etiquette is, so for Tucker, Jeff, I, don't, I, I can't advise you whether or not you need to do this coming up here soon, but on, on the morning of our wedding, she called and she goes, I've got to see you. And I was like, what do you need? Is this a big deal? No, I just have to see you. I just have to see, I got to know that you're still in town. <laughs> I got to know this thing is real. Just come by my house. And I, and I came by just briefly. No, I, I didn't, um, didn't see her wedding dress yet. We, uh, we're still in our PJs, I guess. But, she, but I came by the house and she said, I just needed to see you. Just, just need to know this is real. This is going to happen today. And sometimes with Jesus, we find ourselves saying, Lord, I believe. I believe, and there's going to be a great wedding day where you call us home. But Jesus, I just need to see you. I just need to know that you're real. And he is saying to us in his word, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Everything that I said would happen, happened. And I'm alive today. And then finally, if all of this is real, what difference does it make? He gives us a responsibility. He gives us a responsibility to tell others. The risen Christ provides commissioned expectations. We would call it the great commission. Are we passing on a noble cause to the next generation? And there's one great noble cause of everything we can be involved in in our lives, and we are busier than ever. But of everything that we can be involved in, there's one noble cause that's knowing him as we make him known. Glorifying him through worshiping and witnessing. That is our calling. Making him known to the nations by the way we know, love, and serve him. And so the disciples' lives would now revolve around this commission. In verse 47, he states that each gospel writer summarizes this. Repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, in his name, no other name, but in his name to all generations, um, to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. He says, you'll be witness of these things. In Acts 1.8, he says, when the Holy Spirit, remember here he tells them to wait. In Acts 1.8, he says, while you're waiting, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will receive power, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is so that you'll be able to um, swing from chandeliers and services and handle snakes and run the aisles, and uh, that's what the Holy Spirit power is going to be. No, that's not what it says, is it? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Evidence of the Spirit-filled life is that you've got to tell somebody about Jesus. You've got to tell somebody about Jesus. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. You will tell other people about what I have done. You will present this same evidence to a generation who will pass it on to a generation who will pass it on to a generation. And you're going to shake the world with this news. And they didn't have cell phones. (laughs) They didn't even have phone booths. Children, you can ask your parents what a phone booth is later. They didn't have Facebook, Instagram. They didn't have the internet. Al Gore had not invented that yet. They didn't have a way to tweet, Jesus is alive. 
And I'm all for tweeting it and posting it everywhere we possibly can. But they had something that we're often lacking today. In our day where we've got all the technology to make the gospel known, they understood that they had been endued with power by the Holy Spirit. We often try to do in the flesh using technological advancements, and we say, why isn't it working? And we're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So they were commissioned, but they were told that it would be the Holy Spirit that would come upon them as they waited. He said, look at verse 49, I'm sending you what my Father promised, the Holy Spirit, right? As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. It's the Holy Spirit has come upon us that we might have the courage, the boldness, the strength, the gifting, the calling, the passion, the anointing to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the world, to pass it on to a generation who will pass it on to a generation who will pass it on until Jesus comes. And yet the world, for the most part, still hasn't heard that he is alive. I've alluded to the story before. Many people have tried to check and see if the story is accurate. So there are different versions of the story but that while Samuel Clemens, who we know as Mark Twain, had gone on a trip, actually he was in so much debt and a difficult situation that he went to London on a speaking tour because he had some things lined up that were going to help him pay off all of his debts. But somebody started a rumor that he was sick unto death while he was in London, which wasn't true. And it gets back to the papers and the newspapers are calling him. Some, even after that rumor started, had started another rumor that he died. And and so the story goes that Samuel Clemens gets in touch with people back in the States, and he says, rumors concerning my death have been greatly exaggerated. I've got news for you this morning. It's our job to go to this world and say, rumors concerning the death of God have been greatly exaggerated. Our God is alive and well. Jesus Christ is presenting himself through his word with many infallible proofs. And we need to pass it on to a generation and to a world that is desperate for this message. Jesus, who alone is the living water, he is sending you out to publicly invite people. And he's inviting you, we're to invite them to do what he invited you to do. And that is to come and drink freely from the water of life. This isn't a difficult task. As we heard a powerful testimony at the sunrise service this morning of a sweet eight-year-old girl who was already doing it right. It's not a difficult task. You're not begging them to join a club. You're not trying to convince them to be a part of some secret society, but a very public entity. You're not asking them to come try out for a team. You're not asking them to sell something as part of a pyramid scheme. You're giving them something that is free and you're calling them to a place where the ground is level at the foot of the cross and you're saying, whosoever will may come and drink freely of the water of life. It's open and it's out there for everybody. It's our job to get it out there and make it known. Muhammad and Allah can't do anything because they're dead. Buddha is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. Charles Taze Russell, who founded the Jehovah's Witness Church, is dead. Your good works are dead. Oh, we, we, we got to be good people. we got to impress God. Our good works, the Bible says, are as filthy rags before a righteous God. But the Bible says there is one name 
given under heaven among men by which we must be saved, the name Jesus Christ. That's all I have to offer you this morning. We have this great responsibility. Let's pass it on. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning.